Galatians chapter 3, verses 26, and then we're going to go into chapter 4, verse 7. So the, the tail end of, uh, of chapter 3, moving in to the, uh, the beginning of verse 7, or of, of the beginning of, of, of chapter 4, up through verse 7 there. Face to face with the gospel, back in Galatians. The theme of our passage today is identity, who we are in Christ. And, and what that means for each of us. Now, there's, there's great promise here. There's great implication. It's, it's exciting to see how God views us in relation to Jesus, and then because of Jesus, in relation to himself. Identity. Who are we? Who does God say that we are? Who does God say that you are? Galatians chapter 3, verses 26, and then the chapter 4, verse, through verse 7. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs. According to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sons of God. What does it it mean to be a son? You know, for for the purposes of of this question, at this point, we can change the, you know, we can change the word son to, to, to child. What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to be a son or daughter? You know, I've, I've kind of been working through this, this question a little bit this week, thinking, you know, my own experience, what, is it, what does it mean for me that, that I'm a son, that I'm a child? I, I remember my, my dad would, would leave for about a month during the summer to go up to Alaska and, and go fishing. And, and back when I was younger, we were able to go to the, the gate with him at the airplane, and he would get on the plane, and he'd, he'd fly off, and we always like look at the window to see because if he had a window seat, he would move the, the, the slider up and down, kind of like his, his final goodbye to us as he was flying off. And I remember before he would go down the tunnel, he'd always kneel right in front of me. I was the oldest of, of his children. He'd kneel in front of me and say, all right, Daniel, you're the man of the house. You've got to help your mother. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on you to, to take care of, of some of these things. And, you know, I mean, that would stay with me for probably about the trip home when I got to be like, hey, hey, be quiet. Dad made me the man. You know, like, you kind of maybe abuse it a little bit in some ways. 
what dad's really saying is, I need you to help your mom because I'm going to be gone and you've got a lot of siblings. I'm going to be gone for a month and she's going to need your help, you know, putting up and down the trailer when, when you're moving around and, and, and just helping her out with different things. Making sure you're, you're keeping an eye on your brothers and sisters. People aren't getting hurt. You know, there, there's a sense of responsibility that came with being a son. There's also an element of like an inheritance to, to a degree, right? Like I, I'm going to be getting an inheritance at some point in time, you know, hopefully way down the road. But, but that's just an element of, of, of being a son, of being a child. There's also like inclusiveness, right? Like I belong to this family. I'm a Stenberg. I, I have a bit of a, an identity that comes with, with, with being a child, with being a son. You know, in our society today, and, and probably in many societies throughout time and, and all over the world, there can be a large variety of answers to the question, what does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter? There's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense of inheritance. For some, that may be a large sum of money and a lot of earthly possessions. And for others, it, it may be nothing more than their parents' last name. It may end up being a, a lot of debt. You know, I don't know. For, for some, being a son or daughter may bring a sense of security. And, and for others, it may bring a sense of complete insecurity. There are so many diverse experiences and emotions tied up with being a child, with being someone's child. And our verses today tell us that we are God's sons. Sons of God. The term itself, it, it stirs up a bunch of questions. What, is, what does that mean? How does someone become a son of God? What does being a son of God do for me? It makes sense that men can be sons, but are women also sons? Isn't Jesus the son of God? How, how do we fit into this? What does it mean to be a son of God? The passage this morning is a wonderful promise to each one of us. For it lays out the qualifications we have in Christ. It informs us that we are all sons of God and heirs with Christ. In verse 26 we read, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So why does Paul use the word sons instead of children? If we look in some translations, uh, the newest version of the NIV, for example, we see that this change has been applied. They, they've changed the word son to, to children. The verse then reads, you are all children of God. But if we choose to change the words in this way, then we're missing a key point that Paul is making. You see, in most ancient cultures, daughters could not inherit property. In these cultures, the word son basically meant legal heir. And this was a status that was forbidden to women. The verse tells us that we are all sons of God. This is in essence saying that we are all legal heirs. Whether male or female, it, it doesn't matter. And, and God is even-handed in his gender discrimination, for just as women are called sons of God in this verse, the whole of Christianity, men included, is referred to as the bride of Christ in Revelations 21 too. 
So men are part of his son's bride, and women are his son's heirs. And we are all heirs, all sons through faith. Paul continues to bang the by faith drum, right? Justified by faith, sanctified by faith, sons or heirs by faith. All by faith in Christ Jesus, not of our own works, but because of our faith in His works. Our faith in the truth that what He did, that He did what He said He did, and what has been written that He did. And faith that He had the power to do what He has done, and what has been written that He has done. Our hope rests on faith in Jesus Christ and his miraculous work on the cross. In verse 27, we read that we have put on Christ. Now, what what does that mean? How does that tie in with identity? How does that tie in with with the theme that that Paul is is working through here? Another way of of reading this in in the Greek, that that word, it, it can be seen as clothed. Clothed with Christ. We have put him on like we would a pair of clothes. What do our clothes do for us? Our clothes, they, you know, they cover our nakedness. They're a protection. We wear clothes as a form of protection. Protection from the eyes of others. The protection from the elements around us. Last night, I, I probably should have worn a bigger jacket. And I probably wouldn't have uh, more of a frog in my throat. Right? We, we protect ourselves with the things that we wear. When we are clothed with Christ, when when God looks at us and sees Christ, Christ covers the embarrassing nakedness of our sin. Christ is our protection from the designs of the evil one. Satan and his minions are present and active in this dark age. And being clothed in Christ is our most potent defense. And our clothes show what our identity is. How we dress tells a lot about who we are, how we see ourselves, how we want others to see us. I mean, I can't, I can't think of that without thinking of high school, really. But I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious who, was, like, who, the, who the jocks were and, and who the skater kids were and who the goth kids were. I mean, you just had to walk down the hall and you could tell who basically fit into what friends group based off of how they dressed, and then who they associated themselves with. I mean, watch any high school video and, and, or movie today, and they, they definitely play those stereotypes pretty hard. I mean, as you get older, they say, oh, well, those guys are hipsters. You know, it's, they, they have their group, they got their hipster clothes. Or those guys probably work on Wall Street because they've, you know, they're all dressed to the nines and they, they're you know, looking sharp, whatever. How we dress, it tells people how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, how, how we see how we fit in. And since we are clothed with Christ, we are showing that our identity is found in Him. Our identity is found in Him. In verse 28, we read that there is no discrimination when it comes to being sons of God, heirs with Christ. There is no racial discrimination, neither Jew nor Greek. All races and nationalities are welcome and desired as sons of God. Our cultures do not matter. A person does not need to adopt the Jewish culture just as they do not need to adopt the American culture. 
in order to be considered a son of God. There's no class discrimination. Neither slave nor free. All classes are welcome and desired as sons of God. You're not an heir because you have a lot of money or because you have no money. Our personal wealth or social status has no effect on our identity in Christ. There's no gender discrimination. No, neither male and female. Both genders are welcome and desired as sons of God. This barrier was the strongest in Paul's day, where women were seen as completely inferior to men. Thankfully, this perception has greatly changed, though there is still progress to be made. Now, the topic of gender roles is still a very divisive and, and volatile subject. We can rest in the assurance these verses give us that there can be no subjectivity on the topic of who is an heir of God, on who is an heir with Christ. We are all sons, all legitimate heirs, for there is no male and no female. The implications of the gospel are amazingly radical. As humans, we have set up all these barriers that divide us, right? I mean, just look around. Watch the news. Our society is filled with tension over race and gender and class issues. It continues to amaze me how relevant the Bible is. I mean, it probably shouldn't. It, it really shouldn't. But it does. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians how many years ago? And yet he goes down the list and hits all the hot button topics and talking points that we face today. Race, gender, class. The tensions over race are, are likely evident to most of us in our daily lives, but the incident, or perhaps more properly designated the embarrassment, down in Charlottesville, North Carolina, back in August, brought the national spotlight to it once again. We still struggle to see that the worth of a person has nothing to do with the color of their skin. The Harvey Weinstein scandal emphasizes our struggle with gender issues. We still struggle to see that men and women were created as equals and that the worth of a person is not tied to their gender. Class issues are still very present. Just driving through, you know, uh, different little cities here in, in New Jersey and in the surrounding area is pretty clear. Though has anything made it more clear than the Occupy Wall Street movement from a few years ago? I'm sure you guys felt it uh, here a lot more than, than I did up in Canada, but the feelings of the 99%, as they called themselves, are, are well documented. We still struggle to see that the worth of a person is not tied to their bank account. Mankind, we've set up so many boundaries, so many divisions. We've divided ourselves from ourselves. And these boundaries, these divisions have lasted generations, decades, centuries. They've been around since mankind has been around. It's, it's crazy. And then comes the gospel. The gospel destroys, supersedes, pulls rank, abolishes all of these boundaries. These divisions. The gospel says that our worth lies in God's love for us. That we have worth because we have worth to God, not because of the color of our skin. If we have 
and a Y or an extra X chromosome or what tax bracket we fall into. Our worth lies in God, in the truth that he created us in love and with purpose. This is where we find our identity. The gospel says that first we are sons, first we are heirs, and then we are whatever else we are. We are his before we are anything else. Our allegiance, our identity is first and foremost found in Christ. Everything else is just the labels that we live with. And then we get to the best part. As sons, chapter 4, verse 7 tells us we are also heirs, heirs with Christ. We inherit what Christ inherits. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. As Christians, we are heirs with Christ, and we will sit on the throne with Christ. Is that sinking in? That's crazy. It's absurd. And it's the power of the gospel, and it's true for each one who believes. How? How does this happen? How do we, sinful and wretched men and women that we are, how do we get to be heirs with Christ? Because of the abounding grace of God and the gift of Christ Jesus. In illustrating our sonship, Paul uses the example of a young child who is the heir of a great estate. And Tim Keller explains how this would have been understood by Paul's audience in Galatia. He writes, in ancient times, the process of coming of age was an important and well-defined process. A Roman child heir was a minor under guardians until the age of 14, and was still to some degree under trustees until age 25. Not until then could the youth exercise complete, independent control over his estate. So this Roman child heir is going to be the heir, right? They have the right bloodlines. They have the right parents. They were born into wealth and riches, and yet they still have no more rights than the slaves. They are still under guardians, still under the trustees, until they have come of age and can claim their birthright. Paul is saying that all human beings are born sinful, born slaves. Verse 3 says that in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Our coming of age is accepting Christ as our Savior. All of mankind is born with the right bloodlines. In order to come of age, we must accept the flaw in our bloodline. Accept that we are not good enough. And then through Jesus, and because of Jesus, we receive our inheritance. And yet slavery is our natural state. And sometimes we as Christians can fail to experience the joy and freedom of our salvation. In one of my commentaries on Galatians, it reads, Christians can continue to live day by day as slaves instead of adopted sons of God that they are. Though we are rich in the gospel, adopted children of God with complete and direct access to the Father, 
We can go back to relating to him only through our record and moral merits, only through the things that we have done and do. It's as though we are given a gift, but give it back to the giver so that we can try to earn it. It's as though we are given a gift and give it back to the giver so that we can try to earn it. It can be easy to forget who we are. It can be easy to forget that we are sons, heirs, and what that means for us. So think about that. I, I'm, I'm always reminded of the Lion King. And I mean, I, I don't know if we all are, are familiar with the story or not, but you've got young Simba, and, and he does something, he, he misbehaves. And, and through the course of his misbehaving, his, his father is killed. Not by someone else, but he ends up taking the blame. And so he runs away. He's the rightful heir of Pride Rock, but he runs away because he's scared. He's scared what people are going to think about him. His, his pain, his sin has, has come forward. And, and he doesn't, he just decides he's going to forget about that life. I'm done with it, right? And so he runs off into the bush and he makes friends with these two crazy characters and they live the life of Akuna Matata. You know, no worries. No cares for the rest of my life. I'm just going to do my thing. And so he's off there. But things aren't going well at home. The new guy, the Uncle Scar, who, who, who takes control, who's the next in line, the one who has scared Simba off in the first place, he, he makes a mess of everything. And so the lions, in order, to, in order to, uh, to be able to continue to feed, in order to continue to survive, they have to go farther and farther. And, and one of them ends up running into Simba. And Simba's, you know, his, his current life, his, his running away, he's confronted with the reality of who he is. And there's just, there's just a wonderful scene where he's, he's trying to figure out, you know, who am I? And, and he's running through the woods and or he runs out of these fields and he's just run, he's trying to figure out what, who am I? And I mean, he, he calls out to his dad. He calls out, he's like, Dad, who am I? Now, I mean, all illustrations break down at some point, and there's no way that a lion is actually God. But if we put ourselves in that situation, his father comes and says, remember who you are. You're my son. Remember who you are. Man, I feel like God grabs me by the collar sometimes and says, Daniel, remember who you are. You're my son. You're my child. I love you. He does that for each of us. Remember who you are. You know, if this is you, if, if you're passing your days living as a slave, feeling as if you must earn the gift of adoption, feeling that you must work to be an heir, you must work to be brought into the kingdom, bearing the weight of the importance of your moral merit, your moral worth, if you can't remember who you are, listen to the rest of these verses, verses four to seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer 
a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It is not our burden to remove ourselves from slavery. We no longer need to be under the yoke of slavery, for Christ has abolished that yoke. He has redeemed us. He has redeemed us that we might receive adoption. That we might become sons of God and that the spirit of the living God might indwell us and cry out from our hearts as Jesus did. Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves, but sons. And as sons, we are heirs through God. Remember who you are. Amen.